Welcome back, everybody, to the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, your mother's favorite Ohio State news blog. I am your host, Matt Brown. I am the managing editor for Land Grant Holy Land. I am the one of the college league managers here for SB Nation. I am joined, as always, by my co-host and uh, Land Grant contributor, Mr. Colton Denning. We are recording this on Monday afternoon here on October 17th. So you will probably get this uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday. And already, normally I kind of like to ease into the week a little bit when I get into the office here on Monday, you know, go through all my emails, sit my energy drink, and it's been full-born news, 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 all the stuff's going on here. Uh, and it's really started on, on Sunday. Is, is it just me or just me? Does this been like a, just a, a kind of a very eventful, crazy past 48 hours? Yeah, it seems like, I mean, for it being week, heading into week eight of the college football season, that just not the games and everything going on with that, but coaching firings and then the Big 12 drops the bomb, what, last night, that they're going to have a press conference today about possible conference expansion. It's a lot going on for the middle of the season that doesn't actually have to do with the games. Let's talk about that a little bit. I want to talk about the games. There's 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 some there's some very interesting games. Uh, you know, Ohio State's going to play a very interesting one. I think there's some other interesting ones here for this week. But let's let's touch on some of those uh, non-football game related news because uh, updates because I think there's two of them in particular that impact. Ohio State. And, and the first broke on Sunday. This is not surprising in the least, but it is something I think we should talk about just for a little bit. We have our first head coaching opening now in the Big Ten as Purdue has finally pulled the plug on Daryl Hazel, former Ohio State assistant and literal well, not literal, but you know, figurative dead man walking uh, in, in the coaching position here for at least a year. Uh, he's gone after Purdue was destroyed by Maryland and looked listless in the rest of their season and and, and uh, generally was, was not showing any signs here of, of real positive growth and development. Um, uh, the, 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 we wrote about this on Sunday evening, but many national outlets are saying that many Ohio State assistant coaches could potentially be candidates for Purdue. Greg Schiano, former uh, head coach, been a very successful defensive uh, co-defensive coordinator for Ohio State throughout the first half of the season. Ed Werner, somebody who was a finalist for the Rutgers job before, has interviewed for several other head coaching positions, and even potentially Luke Fickle or Tim Beck. And this was kind of a controversial thing. Uh, Chris Brown, a smart, smart football, you know, has been really adamant that Purdue should not should not look to the Ohio State tree. Bill Connolly, our own at SBNation.com, has, has said that that may not be a great idea. So let's look at the Ohio State angle here first. Colton, one, do you think that an Ohio State assistant could be a credible candidate for this position? And if you were Purdue, would you try to hire one? Yeah, sure. I think if I were Purdue, I would. Uh, I'd go all in on Tim Beck and uh, just pry him away from Ohio State. And yeah, it's a win-win for everybody. But uh, in in actuality. I don't think they should. Maybe they will because they've done it before. But uh, on one front, you you have a bunch of guys who have, like Shiano, he's either been a head coach or guys that haven't had a job, and Luke Fickle and, and Tim Beck as a head coach. But to me, and this is just like a greater point about the Purdue job in general and, and some of the names, I'm looking at Bill's article right now and some of the names he mentioned. I, I don't know why any of those 
more established guys, even as coordinators, would want that job right now. I know it's a Division One job. I know it's a Power Five job. But if you're Greg Schiano, don't you think that if you stay a couple seasons at Ohio State, that at least something, if not a, a better job, at least something more attractive for you, maybe one of the better Group of Five schools, comes up. You know, I I just don't see. Even a guy like Luke Fickle, why, why would he really want to make that jump into a situation like that as a first-time head coach? And from a Purdue standpoint, why would you want to go that route again? And, and to Bill's article, where Purdue's really had the most success historically in hiring coaches has been when they've gone outside of that box and tried to do something new. So I think it would be a big mistake for one, either any of these Ohio State assistants to take that job because I think you're in a position to fail with how that program currently is. And secondly, from a Purdue standpoint, you've done this before and it hasn't worked. So why do it again? I I thought that the Bill article was really was really interesting. And it, it gave me it gave me some some food for thought. So here, here's my view of this job right now. I think Purdue is the worst job right now in the Big Ten, and that's for so, so some different reasons, right? Like Rutgers and Maryland and Indiana, those are going to be very difficult jobs because of their schedule. They're stuck playing Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State every single year. Purdue's not. In fact, Purdue really has the easiest schedule of any Big Ten team on an annual basis because they get a protected game with Indiana, which means so like every year you're going to get Iowa and Minnesota and Northwestern and Illinois and Indiana. And none of those teams are going to be bringing in a bunch of blue chip players. So if Purdue is recruiting at like an average level, so I don't know, like in the in the 40s range, that they shouldn't have substantially worse talent than any of those programs. So, you know, you go 500 against those teams, you do well and you're out of conference, you're, you're looking at a bull bit. But what is... The reason why I think this is the worst job is is because of their administration. They do not have a university president in Mitch Daniels who has been very supportive of any kind of ambitious vision for Purdue. You have a, a fan base and a booster group that's been completely dispirited. This team has been awful for for the, the last several seasons and even though like you know indiana's not a great place for high school talent but Purdue's closer to chicago than any other big 10 team except for northwestern and it was closer than wisconsin or, or 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 illinois in terms of drive time it's not far from detroit it's not far from cincinnati so i i i don't think that purdue necessarily is so screwed that they have to get like a triple option guy or have to do something really weird outside of the box. Maybe they should. But without that institutional support from an athletic director, and they have a new athletic director, and he didn't exactly come in with a bunch of five-star ratings. And without a university president and without you know a financial and structural commitment to being su- successful, it's not going to be an attractive position. So I, I don't see a, a really a successful head coach taking that job right now. I imagine they're going to have to go to a coordinator. Uh, maybe it's best if they go for a coordinator that's a little bit more outside the box, but they could do worse than Greg Schiano, I think. Yeah, and I think when you when you look at that list of names, Jeff Brome, Willie Fritz, Ken Nuimatololo, Bobby Wilder, Troy Calhoun, Scott Satterfield, Blake Anderson, I would say at least 80% of those coaches are in a position right now where even the resources at those schools probably aren't as good as Purdue's. But I mean, if you're Ken Nuimatololo, why would you even think about leaving Navy to take that Yeah, job? man, he, he with, turned with out BYU. With how, yeah, with how you're able to win and the kind of pull he has in Annapolis and just the overall culture of that program and what they've been able to do there, I, it just wouldn't make any sense other than what you get maybe a salary raise, maybe. I mean, I, I just think that they're, they're going to have to go outside of the box 
box. And one of the things that interests me all weekend about this was Les Miles' name is like starting to flood in right now, especially for more national writers about, well, Purdue should look at Les Miles and he would be the guy. And I think that's all well and good just from like a purely fan perspective. I think it would be great to have Les Miles at Purdue. It would add some more wackiness to the Big Ten. You know, the once every while they play Ohio State, you'd get Urban Meyer and Les Miles. It would, it would be craziness. But just, you know, if there's any indication on what that Purdue job is the fact that Bill writes that you know maybe Miles could recruit to a top 35 level and have some seven or eight win seasons and he would raise the profile and to help them make a better hire down the road I mean we're talking about a coach that's won more than 10 games I think seven times in his career he has a national championship he succeeded at the highest level of college football and if the ceiling on that program is well maybe you could win seven or eight games and then make that job more attractive for somebody down the line even a guy like Miles I mean just why? Why would you take it? So I do think that they're going to have to make an ambitious hire on that front. Yeah, as a fan, I think Les Miles at Purdue would be would be would be great. It'd be hilarious, and I think Purdue would would probably do much better. You know, not not that that's like a, a, a enormously high bar to clear right now, but I'm not sure it one if he would take it. Not that I think there's going to be a particularly robust market for Les Miles, given his age and given his offensive struggles with, I think, the coaching profession really elevating much younger assistants and especially those who have a more offensive background. So those things work against Miles. But there's going to be lucrative television opportunities and uh, Purdue's roster is a dumpster fire right now. So, like, you know, if, if, if they decide to go that route and hire less miles, great. Purdue will at least not be boring and we'll have to we'll find a different punchline. But I don't think that is your long term answer either. It's going to be really interesting to see what names are floated and, and how that list changes. I know some Purdue fans want P.J. Flack or they or they or they want Willie Willie Taggart. I don't see either of those as probable, but I've been wrong lots of times before. Well, and I think on the P.J. Fleck front, you know, they're legitimately good programs that are going to look at him as a head coach. I think he is like the prime example of a coach that, especially in the group of five ranks, like with what he has now and how they've out-recruited the Mac. And a lot of that roster is stocked with, you know, mid three-star talent guys. And that isn't impressive when you're thinking about it from an Ohio State fan standpoint or another big school. But for a Mac team, they've recruited so well that, you know, they can, they would dust Purdue if they played that. You know, they can play them oh, yeah. at home and beat them by 25 points. And just leaving that job just to say, well, I, I'm a power five head coach now. PJ Fleck can stay there, you know, another year or two and when a power five legitimate top school job opens up, he's going to get interest. I mean, I, I don't know what if there's any connections between between him and LSU, but I wouldn't be surprised to at least see him interview for that job. So I, I think that Purdue hiring PJ Fleck is like the biggest swing in the dark for them. Yeah, I I don't know if PJ Fleck's going to end up at a place like LSU or anything, but. Yeah, I think they'll probably talk to him. He could do a lot better than Purdue. Um, we'll be following this, uh, you know, more and more over, over the next couple of weeks. I don't anticipate any other opening in the Big Ten this year unless somebody dramatically gets hired away from somewhere else. I know Nebraska, we thought, might might make a change, but they're, you know, they're undefeated and they're in the top ten right now. And, and most of the other coaches are relatively new or just signed extensions. So unless the wheels really fall off Minnesota in a dramatic way, this is probably the only the only one we're looking at for the next season or two. 
Also, in case you were wondering here, I know this is, this is super compelling radio, but I'm trying to look up the next time Purdue actually plays Ohio State, uh, and that will be 2018. It is at Purdue. So the new coach will get a, a little bit of time. Um, there's Tim one Beck, other— Tim Beck, Urban Meyer won. <laughs> right? There's another big news story right now that might impact Ohio State on the margins that I feel like we should we should discuss. And by the time you're listening to this, uh, this active section may actually be dated. So <laughs> I don't want to spend too much time on it. But this evening on Monday, Big 12, the Big 12 was scheduled a press conference. I got the call-in information. Uh, they're following their board of directors meeting here today. And the word around the campfire is that they are probably definitely maybe going to have some kind of uh, answer about their expansion plans. You know, since since, since we've been we've, we've been talking, there's um you know, we've seen pictures of like wrapping paper that has uh, the Cincinnati Big 12 insignia, and and that's been a, Cincinnati's been a team that has been projected to be near a favorite or near the top of the list should the Big 12 expand. And we've written about this a little bit a little bit. Curious to know if your opinion has changed or evolved on this at all. But if Cincinnati gets a Big 12 bid. Does that change how you feel about Cincinnati as an Ohio State fan? Does that change? Uh, you, uh, you know, do they become a threat? Like, oh, do, you, do you think that changes anything? No, you know, I, I really don't. I, I think that just for for a Cincinnati standpoint, for the state standpoint, it would be it would be great to see another Ohio school be in the Power Five, and it would work out well for for West Virginia to have a travel partner. And I can understand when people bring up that it's going to bring more Power Five teams into the state of Ohio, especially in the Big 12. But, you know, the, the bigger name teams in that conference, Texas and Oklahoma, that base, that recruiting base in Texas is too big for them and too great for them to focus really on Ohio. So maybe... Some of those kids, every once in a while, go on a visit to Texas or, or go on a visit to Oklahoma. But, I, you know, I don't think that from a recruiting standpoint that that's really going to have as much impact as some people say it might just because of the Texas factor. And from a Cincinnati standpoint, I, I think that they could be a, a decent to good Power Five school, but I still don't think that, that that would make much of an impact on what Ohio State does, to be honest. I'm a bit of a skeptic about the major recruiting impact here. Uh, the, 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 well, I take that back. At least, at least as it pertains to Ohio State, uh, Cincinnati in the Big Twelve, I think would be really good for Iowa State. It'd be good for Kansas State. It'd be good for West Virginia, especially if they add some assistant coaches who have ties to that region. Um, because I think that there's there's a lot of mid to upper three star level talent that's not going to go to Ohio State or Notre Dame or Michigan that could play Big 12 football um, and w- w- a chance to be able to play a couple of games closer to home might make that a little bit more attractive. In terms of Ohio State losing a commit to either Cincinnati or to a major Big 12 team like a Texas or an Oklahoma, I think that would happen very rarely. Well, the only potential impact I can think of for OSU would be, you know, especially if Kentucky makes a coaching change here in the next year or two, would be the uh, a lot of mid-three-star guys that would go to a Michigan State or go to a Penn State or go to a Nebraska or an Iowa or you know, lots of other teams in the Big Ten uh, are recruiting the state. And if that talent pool gets diluted a little bit between some Big 12 institutions, that could theoretically make the Big 10 a little bit worse and impact Ohio State's schedule. 
that's a little bit farther down the line. And I think Ohio State is is well equipped to handle that either way. So I know I, I like to joke about Cincinnati a lot on Twitter. I like to to make fun of your disgusting chili and the fact that you're in Kentucky. And both those things are true. But, if, you know, if Cincinnati does get a bid, I would be happy for them. And I think that that would be a positive for football fans across Southeast Ohio. Well, I'm like, you're you're a busy dude. You you have a wife, you have a kid, and you, you spent, what, the last at least three years talking about this story. How much time in your life is about to be freed up after this goes down tomorrow? Like, are oh you are you excited to just like open like another two hours of your day or like <laughs> four hours of your week to not spend on Big Twelve expansion? I'm 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 gonna be honest with you guys. Like, I'm really sick of this story. Like, you know, at first I I was happy to to get into it because. A lot of people clicked on it, and it's interesting to me because I'm I'm a, a nerd about realignment and, and some of these administrative political things. But so many of these stories have just been the same thing, and I'm tired of it. I, I, I want it, I want it to be over. I, I want to wash my hands with, with with this chapter of my blogger life. You're right. I'm going to have more time to devote to classical literature, or maybe to write a book of my own, or to go you know exercise or anything. Now that I don't have to think about Connecticut or South Florida's television market. So if you, by the time you're listening to this, if this press conference announcement was we're deferring a decision until December, so help me, my tweets are not going to be safe for. <laughs> well, and I think that uh, just to kind of wrap this up, you brought up a good point about it kind of being a bigger story about the smaller level teams if it is if it is Cincinnati and the ones you would have to probably look at are Michigan State like you said Indiana and then Kentucky as well is another one and like you said Stoops' situation there is kind of on ice but even if Mark Stoops isn't there you would assume that they're going to recruit that area pretty heavily depending no matter who's the coach so I think that that's where the bigger impact comes is you know what is Kentucky going to do what are what are those smaller schools that have had success in Ohio going to do if Cincinnati indeed joins the Big 12 yeah uh, you know if if this actually happens we may do an emergency podcast we may we may dig into this uh, a, a, a lot more but I I will be grateful when it when it's finally finished, we we actually have some some honest to god football <laughs> that we could talk to now that now that we're, now that we're 15 minutes in here. Um, I don't know about you, but I have a few more gray hairs after Saturday. You know, I've got, I've got a couple. You know, I'm I'm, I'm nearing 30. My hair is mostly pretty black, but I I got, you know I got I got a few from teaching elementary school and everything. And the Wisconsin game gave me a couple more, especially because I came into that game thinking, and I you know I know that you felt the same way. This was a mismatch. I didn't think Wisconsin was going to be able to score nearly enough points. Instead, they dropped 300 yards of total offense in the first half. Jet fuel, uh, jet sweeps completely melted Ohio State's defense. And this was absolutely a game uh, until JT Barrett turned things on in the second half and the Buckeyes were able to pull away. What was your biggest takeaway besides, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, from from that game, do you think? Well, I actually got to watch it from a different perspective because I, I was at the Colorado-Arizona State game, so I didn't watch any of the game until overtime. And I was watching on my phone on like on the way back to Denver in the car. And so I, I saw how they played in overtime, but I didn't watch the game until last night. And I, it was kind of interesting, and maybe this is something we can get into, is I would check into our to our Slack periodically, and I heard a couple people say that, you know, this at least the first half, it felt like the Michigan State game 2.0 
and watching the game, I, I don't think I could disagree more about, you know, what I saw. And, you know, a lot of the times when Ohio State plays like this, and we saw it in the first half against Tulsa, we saw it for, what, about three quarters against Indiana and then in the first half. I think it's easy to look back to that Michigan State game or the Virginia Tech game and say, well, the coaching staff is up to their old tricks. They're calling bad plays. They can't complete a pass. But I really do think that Wisconsin deserves a lot of credit for how they played, especially in the first half. Offensively, like you said, they came in with some new wrinkles. That jet sweep was killing them until the second half when Ohio State made the adjustment and like literally Malik Hooker was flying into the box to stop Jazz Peavy. And so they made some nice adjustments at halftime. But man, I, I really think that Wisconsin deserves a lot of credit for playing well in Ohio State in the second half. They beast up on defense, and I think JT Barrett probably had his best game as a Buckeye. In terms of everything that he—I know I don't know if this was his best game as a Buckeye because the first half did happen, but I think he was 11 for 15 after the first half. He ran the ball very effectively, threw a great touchdown pass to Noah Brown, and they were just so close. A couple other times. You know, if it doesn't start raining for like those random three plays, the interception probably doesn't happen. This game doesn't even go into overtime. There were a couple of plays like that. I'm with you. I've been a big Wisconsin skeptic. And if nothing else, I will gladly say this. I was wrong about Paul Christ. You know, maybe he's not a, a dynamic recruiter. Maybe he's not a dynamic really anything. Not exactly the most exciting guy to talk to. But in terms of being able to call plays and take advantage of, of his talent, they did an excellent job. I mean, Wisconsin was already pretty banged up. This was, this was not a fully healthy squad. And they tried some things that weren't shown on film. Or Meyer talked about this today, you know, utilizing the perimeter and locking that down both on offense and defense, I think was very very, uh, very excellently done. And they're probably your favorite in the Big Ten West. Won't be shocking if these two teams play again in Indianapolis. So, so hats off to them. Yeah, and I think the two biggest takeaways for me on the offense and why I think it was Barrett's best game, given the circumstances, I know that they kind of struggled throwing the ball, especially deep in the first half. But you had that third and 13, I think it was in the second quarter, where Barrett makes that incredible escape and and throws that just dime to Curtis Samuel along the sidelines. And granted, like, T.J. Watt was probably getting held all game. I can understand why Wisconsin fans oh, man. were upset about that. He, he was a monster. Let's just let's just pause about here real quick. Um, I, w- I want to interrupt you. The officiating in this game sucked. It wasn't good. No. It, it was Garyon Conley got robbed on that play. I, I think there, there was a couple. There was at least one holding call on Ohio State that wasn't great. The Mike Weber call on Curtis yeah. Samuel's long run, I, I didn't think was a very good holding call. But Wisconsin fans do have a right to be upset because T.J. Watt was getting grabbed all game. You know, I think in the beginning of the game, there was just a ton of holding, period. <laughs> DJ White got, got grabbed an awful lot. Wisconsin's offensive line holds on nearly, you know, every third play. And I think what was frustrating is just, it just wasn't called consistently. You know, holding became dramatically more illegal near the end of the game than it did in the beginning. And when you factor that in with, uh, yeah, on, like the, the there was a pretty obvious Ohio State hold on JT Barrett spinning around on, on that third down pass play. Uh, Connolly got robbed at the end of the game. The Urban Meyer getting hit in the face uh, and getting called for a 15-yard penalty that, that derailed a drive. All in all, 
not not their best moment. I'm sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. Wanted to make sure that we were clear. Officiating is actually bad. Yes, it, it was very bad. And the the play after that third and thirteen conversion, you know, Barrett stands in and I think about the thirty five and just throws a missile into the end zone to to Curtis Samuel, and it would have been a tough catch, but it hit him right in the hands, and that's a play that we've grown accustomed, especially watching you know the Virginia Tech game at the start of the season last year, and that play he made in the end zone on Cardale Jones's throw that Curtis Samuel can make that play. And then on third down, K.J. Hill drops what would have been another tough catch. You know, at some point, and Urban Meyer mentioned this to, I think, the, the ABC guys during the week, and they had referenced it a few times, is that he told those receivers that, hey, at some point, you guys are going to have to make plays. And in the first half, as much as Barrett made some interesting throws, at times, I think the wide receivers really let him down. And as far as the coaching goes, I know that, you know, I've I complained about it last week with the Indiana game, but I'll really only complain about one thing. Like at this point, Meyer and the staff are just like defiant on running Barrett when when they need him. And if that's at the expense of Mike Weber getting carries and Curtis Samuel getting carries, like it is what it is at this point. I'm not going to complain about it anymore that when the game's on the line, they're going to run that sweep to Barrett or they're going to run keepers with him. And, and that just is what it is. And, you know, the second thing, the only real big complaint I have from watching the offense in the play calling was you you referenced that rainstorm like whose genius idea was it right when I think they're coming out of a timeout and it just starts pouring rain and they're like hey let's roll Barrett out to the left and have him throw and like it was a it was a bad pass the ball slipped but like come on man like why would you put your player in that position so I thought that was kind of interesting but but other than that I don't think there's too much to complain about and the fact that this team has gone on the road twice and beat top 10 teams in those environments, in night games, and that those type of atmospheres, with how many players they lost last year, I, I think at the end of the day, that's very impressive. Yeah, I uh, the offense was frustrating, but we we can't take away the fact that one, Ohio State's wide receivers are all definitely still playing like they're super young, and two, Wisconsin has a really really good defense, and three, the Buckeyes, yeah, have two road wins over top sixteen teams in the AP poll, despite being super young, and in my opinion, that's good learned from their mistakes and, and, and kind of grew. The Buckeyes have another big road game, though, this weekend. And, you know, we're going to write about this a little bit more. But let, let's talk about this a little, real quick. Buckeyes are now going to face Penn State coming in here at 8 p.m., another whiteout game, going to be, uh, be another a huge event. How concerned are you about this game? I think on a scale of 1 to 10, and you and I last week talked about how we thought this was the scarier game. I think I'm at about a nine. And like talent-wise, yeah, Ohio State's better. Uh, they they should win this game on paper. And I, I don't think that it should be a nail-biter like last week's was or like the 2014 game was. But that's on paper. And I, and I honestly think that it will be a nail-biter. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if Penn State won. And before the season, this is a game that I had Ohio State losing. So it wouldn't shock me at all to see Penn State win. And I think... Given what we've seen from this team, you know, it's hard for me to think that they're going to go into Happy Valley and just dismantle Penn State. So if we have another game like 2014 or, or another game like last week, it wouldn't shock me, especially with Penn State coming off a bye. And kind of where this team has struggled historically since 2012 has been in those type of situations. And you saw it with Wisconsin, and Meyer mentioned it today in his press conference. They showed three or four new things offensively and defensively that they hadn't seen on film before. So you can bet 
you know, especially early in the game, that Penn State is going to do a lot of things different than they normally do. And we'll see how Ohio State reacts and adjusts. They've done pretty well so far. But if they're able to just weather the storm early and get out to an early lead, I think they'll be fine. But it wouldn't shock me to see kind of what happened against Wisconsin happen again in the first half. I'm, I'm more concerned. And part of that is because Penn State has an absolute difference, difference maker at running back. Squam Barkley's amazing. Urban Meyer called him a first-round caliber talent uh, in their press conference today. I, I, he's just eviscerated a lot of the teams that he's played. The Penn State's uh, offensive line has improved. And uh, as well as Ohio State has defended the real far, uh, I expect him to to do well, just like Corey Clement was able to get yards and move the football against uh, Ohio State on, on Saturday. I am worried that Penn State's just more, they're, they're more talented across the board. They're not nearly as well coached uh, as, as Wisconsin is it's going to be a very emotionally charged game and i wonder how ohio state's going to respond to that emotion after a very emotional game with the very week before i don't the line i think is pretty big i've seen it like around 20 like that that's way too that's high. way too much no I, I i mean like maybe buckeyes by like seven or something and i i also would not be surprised and uh that is a little bit troubling for me personally because i have a confession to make i think we've talked about this on this on this program before and maybe you feel differently but I really hate Penn State, man. Yeah. I, I personally dislike Penn State more than I dislike Michigan. Yes, and I, and I'm the same way. And people ask me all the time, like, oh, you must you must really hate Michigan. Like, what's what's the other team in the Big Ten that you hate? And I always tell them no. Like, I, I respect Michigan. Like, we, we love dunking on Michigan. We love making fun of them. But at the end of the day, it, it's the rivalry. It's the game. It's one of the more storied rivalries in all of college athletics. But Penn State, man, I have zero absolutely zero respect for Penn State. I can't stand anything that that school or that athletic program stands for. And that's like, we're not even getting into, you know, all the stuff that happened there, but I have absolutely no respect for Penn State. I hate them. <laughs> I, I didn't feel that strongly about them before I took this job, but I think weird Penn State internet is already somewhat insufferable even before all the Sandusky stuff happened and, and the paternal truthers, which has just turned that up a thousand percent. And then the, I mean, like they have some of the, the worst message boards ac- across the internet. Those games have, have typically not been very fun. I, uh, you know, the, the uh, expectations and, and how, how highly they think of themselves relative to what they've actually done, I, th- I think is a, is a very wide gap. I know Michigan is, is fun to dislike, you know, there's there's some things about the Michigan press corps or Michigan internet that I really don't like. There's a ton of history there. Like th- that, I feel like is more healthy than than uh, than Penn State. I have not enjoyed going to those games in person, and I don't. Uh, well, I like people who cover Penn State or who run certain Penn State sites. I don't. I I would be more upset if Ohio State lost this game than if they lost to Michigan. That's how I feel every year. Yeah, and I, I think too that you know that environment and I just saw across my Twitter feed I think it was Jalen Holmes or one of the other defensive linemen they asked him about the atmosphere playing in Camp Randall and he said you know I'm paraphrasing here but he said it was great and that it was respectful and it it didn't it was high energy but it didn't feel hostile you know I am I'm willing to bet almost anything that the energy and the environment in Happy Valley will not be that way and it will be very hostile and that's not to say all Penn State supporters are bad people that their players are bad people but you know it it just has a different feel in when there's been a lot of talk between Ohio State and Penn State fans of like is this a rivalry like hell yeah it's a rivalry I don't hate them as much as I do for it not to be a rivalry and I think a lot of a lot of other fans feel that way and I think just 
when these two teams get together, it always feels very charged up, and I don't think Saturday will be any different. I'm looking forward to digging into this in, in a little bit more detail throughout the week. I haven't had, I mean, I, I watched Penn State probably three of their games this year. They looked really bad against Michigan, so have most teams. I, I, I liked what I saw of their offense against Pitt. I didn't like what I saw when I saw them play Temple. Um, but I, I think this is a better team. And, and the advanced stats belay that point compared to what maybe popular fan perception is. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to run too long here because it's a busy day and we've got some other things to, to hit. But is there anything else here that you want to make sure that we cover before we let these fine people go? Uh, just anything from, uh, I, I guess, the uh, just to wrap up the Wisconsin game. Like, I can't stress enough how impressed I was with JT Barrett and, and the way that he played. And... You know, he, he certainly has his limitations. And, and I said this on Twitter last night when I was watching the game. And, you know, people can say what they want about his pro prospects. And I know that the guys at Pro Football Focus who do a really good job aren't very high on him. But for what the staff has him do and the amount of punishment they have him take, you know, he doesn't back down from shit. And I think that's if, – if you want players – to go win games at Oklahoma or at Wisconsin or this week at Penn State, that's your guy. That's your quarterback. And I think that Meyer can kind of lay the hyperbole on a bit too thick sometimes, especially when he's talking about Barrett. But I see why the players and the coaches are are so, you know, they believe in him so much because he really is the heartbeat of the team. And I think that in the second half, he he stepped up and had an incredible performance. So that was my big takeaway from the game. And we didn't even really get into the defense, but I think coming into the Penn State game, I'm way less worried about the pass rush than I was before. I think that those guys and with that Rushman package, that they're really starting to hit their stride. And Nick Bosa and Jalen Holmes in particular, I I don't know how the hell you block those guys. And it's only the rushman's only going to get even more more dangerous uh, as as Nick Bosa really comes into his own and and continues to grow as a player. That's going to be fun to watch. I've enjoyed watching this defense. Um, we will, we'll have more on this game obviously as we lead on into the week. Uh, some film study, uh, some recruiting analysis, some breakdowns here. Uh, there, there should there may be some more Ohio State basketball news. Uh, we'll talk about that more later this month as well as we head into that season. You can find our show on iTunes and on where else can we find it? SoundCloud. You can it's on SoundCloud. It's on it's on our website. Uh, you know how to find the show. You're listening to it. Help other people find the show. Uh, we'll make more of them, and and we'll, we'll we're happy to answer your particular questions. You can of course also follow the site on Land Grant 33 on the Twitters and on Facebook and on Instagram and on every other social media network that people actually use. Um, sorry, we're not on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I'll, I'll connect with you on LinkedIn, but but there's no land grant publishing content on LinkedIn. In the meantime, thanks for listening, Colton. It's a pleasure as always. And uh, and go Bucks. <laughs> <laughs>